0: Before we get started, we have some very exciting news to share. The second annual PetCon NYC will take place November 17th and 18th at the Javits Center. In case you're not familiar, PetCon is two days of insightful panels, fun activations, and can't miss meet and greets with your favorite celebrity pets like Tuna Melt's My Heart, Harlow and Sage, and Hamlet the Piggy. You'll discover new brands and can shop our highly curated selection of innovative favorite products hang out in the dog adoption garden and adoptable cat cafe, and maybe even bring home a furry best friend or two. We just started selling tickets and have a limited number of early bird tickets available, so make sure to visit PetCon.co, that's P-E-T-C-O-N.co, and get your tickets today. You won't want to miss this. Now back to our podcast. Hi, I'm Lonnie Edwards, the founder of The Dog Agency and Pet Insider, and you're listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. This is a show about the latest and greatest across the pet world. Whether you're a pet parent or just a little pet crazy, Pet Insider has you covered. We get it. We're obsessed too.
1: Dogs only know they're doing the right thing if we communicate to them that that's what we want. And if you're always rewarding the right behavior, you eliminate the bad ones because they want to make us happy. That
0: was Travis Borson, founder of Greatest American Dog Trainers and the host of My Big Fat Pet Makeover on Animal Planet. Travis will discuss how to choose the right pet for your lifestyle, training do's and don'ts, and how your behaviors might be negatively impacting your pet. Now let's get back to Travis. How did you get started in dog training? What's the beginning?
1: So I grew up on a farm and ranch in Oklahoma, so I grew up around animals, but it wasn't really the same. Like I grew up in a household where indoor pets were not allowed. Which seems crazy, because now I'm here in, in New York City. What are where,
0: outdoor pets? I'm just I, I know exactly. <laughs> what,
1: uh, are there even supposed to be pets outside? I don't think so. Um, you know, so it was just like, if a pet got inside, it was an accident. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, dad's like, get the, get the the cat, the dogs in the house, you know, but of course they'd been running in the mud. So they'd run and jump in the bed. So you you get it. There's a reason behind it. There's a reason behind (laughs) it. You know, it's a ranch, right? Um, so that's the way I grew up. So there's, they were always outdoor pets. Um, so we never really had you know, real connections with them because they just were outside and we were inside. And then I actually showed pigs in the FFA, which we had. You know, they weren't the potbelly pigs that you know that you guys have as clients. Uh, they were actually like market hogs. Yeah. And I fed them every day. I watered them every day. I brushed them every day, and they like became my best bud. So that was like my real first pet. And it was a real eye opener for me. Whenever I got done showing them, you then sell them to market. Like that's how it works, right? You did. And when I was in the eighth grade, you don't keep pigs forever. And I just remember my dad saying, "Okay, we, you know, it's they have to go." And it was like. Whoa! And I remember in the eighth grade in that barn, like crying because my three pigs were getting taken away from me, and I was like, "Never again am I going to let myself love a pet like this because it hurts too bad." Um, and that was my first real experience of having that pet, and I really did. I held off for a long time, and then when I lived in Los Angeles and, and was doing acting in 2008, there was a rider strike. Um, and so they weren't writing for TV anymore. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? And ended up getting a boxer uh, named Presley, uh, who was a puppy at the time and rescued him from Oklahoma and took him to Los Angeles. And of course, you know, pets, they were a craze, but more like in your purse craze, like, you know, Paris Hilton carrying her dog in there. But I was like, okay, I don't need that, but I do need a pet. And so then I got, I got Presley, and that was the first time I had started to venture back into the, having that relationship, like with those I had with my pet pigs. And, um, but I did everything wrong. So I wasn't a dog trainer, right? I mean, he would run the other direction and I'd yell at him to come back, and he would be in trouble and I'd put him in his crate. Like, as, Knowing what I know now, I literally did everything wrong. And, and, and Presley, you know, was such a great dog. Um, and he you know, reacted in a hundred different ways. But uh, I ended up on a reality show called Greatest American Dog on CBS with Presley. And the whole concept was an owner and their dog in this house in Agora Hills, it was like survivor meets big brother. And the whole idea was, can you build a relationship between the owner and the dog through like challenges? And, and they they thought we were the best for the show because they thought we'd be the first ones to get kicked off because my dog was so crazy. (laughs) Like literally we were in the audition room at CBS and they were like, I'm sorry, is Presley even trained? And I was like, no, I thought that's why we were here. I have no idea what I'm doing with a dog. And so they actually put us on the show to be the laughing stock of the competition. That's incredible. Yeah, it was really amazing. And so when I, we were on there with the other 11 contestants, um, you know, I was like, I'm a competitor. So I'm like, okay, I'm not a trainer. You know, again, this was over 10 years ago. And I was like, but I am gonna win this thing, whatever I have to do. And so I was watching all the other people and some were like, you know, dominant trainers where they, you know, their dogs were like robots and no personality. And then others were very positive reinforcement you know, trainers. And I really just like soaked it all in. And the whole time we were there, I was working with Presley and I would get up at five o'clock in the morning and I'd be the last one to go to bed. If we were having lunch, he would be in a sit stay. Like I was just doing everything I could. Anyway, we ended up winning the show. (laughs) Um, we won $250,000, which was like the most money ever won by a dog at that time, even more than the dog show. Um, and And I just, we took that money and we started like a children's curriculum for elementary kids. And, uh, we toured the country sharing our story and yeah. And so then, gosh, I mean, I hate to fast forward, but fast forward and, you know, here to New York city and I have a dog training company here in the city and things are great. Life is good.
0: How did you figure out what your strategy was going to be as a dog trainer? Cause there's so many different ways to go about it.
1: Yeah, there really are. Um, knowing what I know now, uh, when I like visit with people who need help with their dogs. And it's so funny because we hear all this stuff, you know, people say, well, I don't train the dog. I train the owner. And, you know, and what I always tell people is that, you know, I help dogs with people problems because it's not the dogs that have their problem. It's the people that have (laughs) had the problems the whole time they've had the dog. So, so that's kind of my slogan, but you know, I think what you have to be careful of is in any profession, like you never stop learning. Like every client I have, I'm learning something every time. Maybe it's not from the dog. Maybe it's from the owner, right? And living here in New York City, maybe it's from the nanny or the brother, the sister, the housekeeper, the driver. You know, I'm working with everybody. Um, And that's what's so important. You don't just work with one. Like everybody has to be on the same page. But it really comes down to like, okay, positive reinforcement versus dominance training methods, you know, and then there's just stuff across the board. And what I have found is that obviously the positive reinforcement, it's the best type of training you can do, but it's the hardest. It takes the longest. Um, but that's how you build a true bond, you know, based on trust, respect, and love with, with your pet. So trainers that don't use those types of methods, really, they either don't understand the benefits of the other ways, or they just haven't learned how to do them because you could do very, you know, hardcore training that will get you quicker results, but it's really diminishing the relationship between the owner and the dog.
0: Going back to your story a little bit, so your whole career trajectory came about because of your dog, which I think is very exciting and a theme uh, amongst a lot of our clients because they they got this pet and now they're in this industry. Uh, So can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, you know, when I had Presley, um, again, you know, one of the main reasons I got into dog training was because I just felt like if I could help people make that connection the right way they could have the same experience and like life changing bond with their pet that i had if they just had some help because we see people every day that you know get dogs and or any type of pet and and gosh well i couldn't figure this out i couldn't figure that out well you know I, i can't do it or well let's just put them to the wayside and feed them and take care of them every day, but they never really grow that bond through the process. And so that's really what drove me was that I did everything wrong with Presley and I'm I'm not scared to admit it because that's how I can relate with people. So when they say things like, you know, I did this and I did that and, and they would even tell me, they go, the previous trainer just made me feel so guilty and I just... And I'm like, oh, my gosh, well, that's the wrong approach because we all make mistakes. You know, it's just making sure we don't continue to make them. So for me, that relationship with Presley not only made me want to help other people, but it changed the way I treat people in general in life. You know what I mean? Like uh, even in relationship-wise, like it changed the way I felt about people and just really taught me unconditional love, you know, across the board. Not that I was this like mean person before or anything. I don't want to draw a bad picture, but it really just gave me a a new approach of, you know, you can make mistakes, but you can also fix those mistakes. And, and that's what having a pet is all about is building that relationship on trust and mutual respect.
0: And uh, talk to us about your company, Greatest American Dog Trainers.
1: Yeah. So um, Greatest American Dog Trainers is based here in New York City. Um, Currently have seven trainers that work uh, for us now. And, you know, we are in in in-home service. You know, um, I don't know what the correct term is, but you know, we, we have very high end clients that really, and I, when I say that, I mean, they just expect a lot, you know, which is a good thing. It's a good thing because we, we want to, um, we want to over deliver for sure. Um, we have a couple different options. Like we do the one-on-one trainings, but we also do like an in-home service where we go to clients' homes, um, every single day and we do training with their dog and their dog literally has a curriculum that it follows. It's like a fun, it's more of like having like your best friend come over and hang out with you. Right. Um, but part of that that time is very structured, you know, and it's they're learning, you know, sit, stay, come, you know, the basics. Depending on what the owners want, like we've prepared dogs to ride on airplanes and helicopters and yachts, and I mean just stuff that you would never I want think to be of. That dog. right <laughs> Every time I'm like, uh, this dog has a better life than I do, um, you know. But we've done all of that from all the way down to just, you know, simple potty training and pee pad training. And um, I mean, you name it, we've done it. But New York is definitely a place w- unlike any other when it comes to that type of thing.
0: Are the majority of your clients puppies or is it a good mix?
1: It's a really good mix. You know, we start with a lot of um, clients who get dogs for the first time or have had, have had them before, but it's been a long time and we'll get them, start with them like usually when they get the dog, but the dog's not always a puppy. You know, like if it's been rescued or that type of thing. Um it could be of any age. Um, you know, and we work with you know, it doesn't really matter. The only thing we don't tend to work with, and I did when I first moved here, is we don't we tend to not work with real aggressive cases. And the main reason is it's not that they can't be fixed. It's just that Aggressive cases in New York City are really tough to rehabilitate because in order to rehabilitate something like that, you really need to remove them from their environment because the environment is what's causing a lot of the issues, right? Whether it's the skateboards or people or whatever it is. So um, I always feel it's kind of like an alcoholic, like alcoholics don't tend to continue to hang out at the bar if they're trying not to drink. So a dog that is having major, major issues, you have to remove them from their environment because we don't have a facility. We you know, we aren't able to do that, which, you know, some people need that kind of help.
0: So speaking of removing pets from the home, I know some people send their pets off to training camp and things like that. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So well, one of the reasons that I got into dog training to begin with was to work with the people like no one's ever going to love someone's dog more than them. So I, I love pets and I love dogs, but I'm passionate about helping the people. So for me, that's not a service that we offer. Um, but there's a lot of people that need help beyond their means and not necessarily financial means, but just time-wise, like time is money, right? And so for them, it makes sense to have their dog go to a camp where they can just be immersed in all types of training. Because For dogs, it's really all about, you know, them having, you know, a routine, boundaries, structure, you know, basic rules in a daily basis. So anything from crate training and potty training to basic obedience, these camps can offer them like you know, the bare bones of what they need. I think the big issue is that a lot of owners have a misconception that if they send their dog to camp, the dog's going to come back and be like reprogrammed like a computer. You know what I mean? It just doesn't work like that. And a lot of the good facilities that offer camps that they, they tell you that they say hey we're going to set a foundation when we give you your dog back you're going to have to continue the work um, and so the good programs really provide the owners with a step-by-step process once the dog comes back into the home so that the dog is always learning we as humans are always learning you know so it's not just like we teach your dog to sit and then it's going to sit every time you ask him to sit It doesn't work like that continued education we all have it and so do dogs
0: And so speaking of uh, education, what are your tips for people when they're getting a puppy? What are the best practices?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things that people ask me when they get puppies is they are always asking me When should they start training? You know, and what I tell them is that you start training the day that dog comes home. And training doesn't just mean like sit and heal and stay. I mean, training is what type of routine are you gonna be in? What type of boundaries are you gonna set for your dog? Because really, when we set boundaries and we have rules, some owners see it as punishment when really what it is is you're setting your dog up to succeed. Because when we have rules and boundaries, your dog knows what's expected of them. And they're held to a higher standard of making the right choice and being rewarded for that choice versus dogs that don't have rules and they just run amok. And then people call me and say, I have a problem. My dog's running my life. And I'm like, well, I know. Well, if it wasn't for people like you, I wouldn't have a job. So I don't know if I should say thank you or let's get your problem fixed. Um, But I think really when people get dogs, the biggest tip um, is, you know, do your homework, do your research, know what to expect, but going into it, have realistic expectations and goals of when things can be accomplished. Cause that can be the most frustrating part is thinking your dog will be able to do X, Y, or Z in an unrealistic time frame. So whether that's getting help from a trainer or reading a great blog or, you know, finding a great website, um, find one you like and stick with it. Because if you have too many people, it's kind of like when people have babies, everybody has advice for them and it's (laughs) all. (laughs) different. So it's the same with a pet. When you get a pet, everybody's going to have a piece of advice for you. So um, just take it with a grain of salt and, and just do your best.
0: Yeah. So speaking of specific advice, what specific advice would you give? So if someone's bringing a puppy into their home, what should they have at home ready before the puppy arrives? What should those first days be like? Do you believe in crate training? What are those first steps?
1: Absolutely. So depending on where you get your dog from, um, it really depends on what your dog, what type of foundation your dog has coming in. And let's just say that they don't have any, you know, let's just say whether it's a rescue or a puppy, they don't have any. I think as a family, you have to decide what kind of rules and boundaries you want to set. Meaning, is the dog going to be allowed on the couch, on the bed, on the chair? To dogs, all furniture is the same. So you can't go, well, we don't mind if he's on this couch, but we definitely don't want him (laughs) on the bed. The dogs, it's all the same to them, right? So you have to get on the same page. Um, And really like the number one thing is getting a schedule down. Like what's the schedule going to be like? What what time of days are we going to be doing the feedings? When are the walks going to be? When are the potty breaks going to be? And then staying as close to that schedule as possible. So again, so the dog knows what to expect. It also helps you... Um, learn about your dog, about when you can expect certain things like potty breaks. And so talking about crates, everybody has different opinions on crates, but what people really need to know is that a crate isn't seen as jail to a dog like it is to us dogs don't watch csi miami they don't know (laughs) what it's like to be stuck in a prison but if we treat it like a prison then the dog is going to it's going to feel like a prison um crates if they're done in the right way and seen as a positive place they really resemble what dogs yearn for in the wild which is a tight dark safe place where they can retreat It also is one of the biggest aids in potty training because dogs typically won't go poop or pee where they sleep as long as the space is correct, meaning a crate only needs to be big enough for your dog to stand up and turn around. Any bigger than that, they'll go to one side (laughs) of it take a big number two and then go sleep in the other side and then, you know, then again, people are calling me. So I think just understanding what the benefits of, then owners can make, make their decisions on their own. Um, And then of course, feeding, feeding amounts is a big deal. Obviously back to our show on Animal Planet, My Big Fat Pet Makeover, the pets that were, you know, grossly obese. Majority of it came from overfeeding, and and owners going, "Well, I love them so much, and they just look at me, and I just know they're hungry, so I give them a snack." And I'm like, "Well, they do want something, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's food." So you know, work with your local veterinarian. You know, they will obviously um, you know be able to help you the most on on a great diet.
0: And um, so, one more potty training question for you. So, in New York, a lot of dogs go on mat. So what is the best way to train a dog to pee on the mat? Because it's not like you go outside, now you go. How do you get them to get on a schedule? Or I guess you can't really get a schedule if it's a mat, but what are your recommendations for mat? Sure,
1: training? What you can get a schedule with a mat, What you but you can't get a schedule with a mat if your dog has free reign of the apartment all the time. Um, the whole goal with a mat, with a wee-wee pad, is that every time the dog goes on the pad, they have to be rewarded. And it doesn't always have to be food. It can be praise, you know, love. Um, whatever you use as a reward has to be given in the moment. Dogs are rewarded in the moment. So if a dog goes and pees on the pee pee pad, walks away from the pee pee pad, you dig the treat out of your pocket, you are too no late. longer <laughs> too late. You're too late. Whereas to the <laughs> yeah. Somebody brings us a piece of pie, I don't care when it is, I'm rewarded. Like it feels great. Um, so that's the most important part. What Where we usually tend to make the mistake is that we don't prevent the dog from going in other places in order for us to capitalize the wins on the wee-wee pad. And what am I saying? Basically saying is if your dog is going in other places and going on the pad, it's very confusing. Um, and the pad isn't like a place where a dog would go, oh, that's where I should go pee. It looks a lot like a carpet. It looks a lot <laughs> like a, an old T-shirt. You know what I mean? So it's... It's just, it's an unnatural place for them to go. So we do have to take the time to repeat the process of rewarding them when they go there. And by doing that for people that don't use crates, we say, well, if you're wee-wee pad training, you need to put your dog on a leash and you need to walk around with them in the house and keep them by your side. And every few hours you go to the wee-wee pad, see if they need to pee. And if they do, they get a treat. But you just have to prevent them from going in the wrong place, capitalize them when they go in the right place, which is the path. And when
0: they go in the wrong place, what do you recommend? You say like, that's bad or what's the best way Sure, that's a good question.
1: Uh, The thing you don't want to do is get onto them. So the latest research shows that when we try to discipline our pets, um, especially dogs with punishment or uh, reprimanding, that really what they're doing long-term is they're associating us as the human with a negative reaction. So instead of them going, because I did X, Y, and Z dad was mad at me they're going that man gets really upset with me okay so i i'm not gonna go near him so no stick only carrots right yeah exactly (laughs) so so the whole idea though is that if we are rewarding every behavior that we want the dog will then be driven to want to make us happy what happens is we see our dogs doing a lot of things that we want them to do, like lay down and just be calm and relax. And we're like, okay, do, do, just leave him alone. Don't talk to him. He's just being so good right now. When you need to do the opposite, your dog's laying down, totally relaxed. You want to take your hand down and gently pet him on the head and say, good girl, good boy, whatever that is, because dogs only know they're doing the right thing if we communicate to them that that's what we want. And if you're always rewarding the right behavior, you eliminate the bad ones because they want to make us happy. That's what makes them so. So great.
0: And then what about chewing on things when they're teething and they grab your shoe and run away with it? How do you prevent that? Because there isn't like a other side where you're rewarding the opposite behavior.
1: Totally. These are great questions, Lonnie. Have you oh, had these thanks. problems yourself? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. You got your little own personal list over there like, okay. pre training session. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I love it. Uh, yeah. So chewing is a big deal, especially with dogs that are teething. So the most important thing and this is probably jumping and chewing and biting are probably the two biggest, you know, issues that we deal with. The main thing is that the dog should only be allowed to chew on things that they're allowed to chew on they have to chew it would be like us not being able to use our hands um that is their that's the way they explore the world so you puppy proof a home the same way you would like with a child you know child you cover the outlets well dogs you don't leave your shoes laying around they're gonna chew on them it's so funny people will say yeah come over oh my dog is is taking the kids little bears and chewing on our shoes i'm like okay put the shoes away and put the stuffed animals away and they're like wait we just paid you for that and i'm like yeah so it's you really have the puppy proof the home but the main thing is know when they need to be chewing put something in their mouth that they are allowed to chew on and then show them you know that they can chew on that a misconception is that people think they could let their dogs just kind of nibble on their hands as long as it doesn't hurt and then once it hurt they'll take their hands away well the dog doesn't know the limit so i have my clients anytime you feel teeth touch your skin ever you disengage you literally just remove yourself. You are the reward in this moment. So you just step away. The dog then goes, oh, that's weird. You, then you go back and engage. And if you feel teeth, you disengage again. The dog will start to associate putting his teeth on you and you leaving. And you'll start to prevent that.
0: And for chewing on furniture and things like that, that you can't necessarily take out of the room and hide, uh, what do you recommend there?
1: Totally. So if you have a dog that is doing those types of things, it's 99.9% coming from a place of having too much energy. So exercise, exercise, exercise is the best thing you can do for your dog. A dog that's too tired doesn't chew on the couch. (laughs) A dog that's too tired doesn't bark at the door. A dog that's too tired doesn't, you know, go nuts every time somebody comes in. Uh, but that's kind of unrealistic for some people who don't have the time to do all that. So the second tip is supervise your pet. You, if you're in the room, we don't leave an infant that can't walk on the living room floor and go take a shower, right? But for some reason, we think it's okay to leave a three-month-old puppy running <laughs> around the house. They're exactly the same. You know Why do we expect more out of them? Back to the unrealistic goals. So supervise, have your dog on a leash, always be providing them with something to do that is approved that is okay and if you can't do any of those it's okay to find a place for your dog like a crate or you know a room that's safe that they can be in uh send them out for a walk but i think the worst thing you can do is just expect your dog to make the right choice when you haven't helped them in any way
0: getting ready to bring a rescue dog into your house versus a puppy what are different things to keep in mind are there any dogs that are untrainable They've been set in their ways. What do you
1: recommend there? Sure. So I think one thing I do know is that there are people that exist that are untrainable. I have rarely met a pet that was untrainable. Um, But there are some pets that aren't perfect for certain environments. The number one piece of advice I would tell people that are adopting a dog is that the first one to two weeks is really when the dog is going to come into their own. So I've worked with a lot of people who are like, well, we just have the dog for a week because we're doing like a test run. And I'm like, that's fine if the rescue group let you do that, but it takes one to two weeks before you really know what the puppy is all about because they're changing environments. So they'll be like, oh my gosh, for the first two weeks, my puppy just slept all the time. It was so great. Now they're going crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay. So this is the personality of your dog. So just know going into it, the first one to two weeks, is that's what it's going to take for your dog to you know come into their own. The worst thing you can do for a rescue dog when you, when you rescue them is feel sorry for them and not set rules and boundaries for them. Um, They thrive with rules and boundaries because they know what their limitations are. Uh, Rules and boundaries, they're not punishment items. They're basically just helping the dog learn to live in an environment and know how to do so. a lot of times people rescue a dog and they go, well, I just, I felt so bad for him. So I let him sleep with us and I let him, you know, go wherever they want And I let him do this and do that. Well, then that dog becomes reactive or protective or, you know, the list goes on and on. So I think the two biggest things are just know the first two weeks, you know, you really have to set those rules and boundaries and then be consistent with them. Um, and know going into it, what does your family want from the relationship with this dog and set, set those goals.
0: That's a great segue into the next category, picking the best pet for your lifestyle. So um, city dogs versus country dogs and people who work a lot versus people who are home. What are your recommendations for kind of picking the right dog for you?
1: Sure. So there's so many breeds out there nowadays. You know, I think what's most important is usually people have an idea of what they want. So start there. Right. And so if you have three breeds, you know, start with those three breeds and then research, you know, what type of, um, things they like to do. What are they bred to do? Um, but, you know, just because you get a Labrador retriever doesn't mean that you have to have a place that the dog can retrieve things. <laughs> you know, th- that's not a necessity, but the dog will have to do exercise. So are you are you an outdoors person? Do you like to go hiking? Do you like to go running? You know, they can find other ways to, to burn that energy, but it's important that you give them that opportunity. Um, you know, for families that are looking for lap dogs, there's a little misconception that small dogs you know, can just lay around all the time. They can lay around a lot, but they need exercise too. Um, So just know, like, are you going to be able to do some exercise? And if you aren't, if you're a person that's like, I just can't exercise, that's fine. As long as you're able to offer the dog the opportunity to to exercise, because that's really what's going to work the dog's mind, um, you know, mind and body and spirit. Like they all have to be um, you know, work. So just going into it, just know what you want, know what kind of lifestyle you have and how you can match that up with a certain breed. Uh, but just know that not every breed is exactly the way it reads. You know, you do need to meet the pets and see how you vibe with them.
0: Are certain breeds easier to train than
1: others? You know, I get that question a lot actually. And depending on who you talk to, some people think that there are some breeds that are smarter than others and some breeds that will pick up things quicker. And to be totally honest with you, for me, it's not as much about the breed as it is the drive of the dog. Um, I have so many, so many times people go, my dog isn't, food motivator. My dog isn't treat motivated. And usually I, when I come to find out is they usually overfeed their dog. So the dog doesn't want (laughs) the food or treats that they're trying to motivate them with. You know, that's what happens most of the time. There are some dogs that, you know, want to work harder and some breeds like the working breeds that do want to work, you know, work more and work harder. But at the end of the day, it's all about that bond and relationship that you build with the dog. And if you're building a positive one, I don't care what breed it is. Like we can get that dog to have a great relationship with you just by spending quality time with that dog and, and building, you know, a a positive relationship with them that, that will actually do it. So I'm not stuck on there are certain breeds that are smarter or that can do things better. Some do learn faster than others, just like people, um, (laughs)
0: um, I'm
1: going to go ahead and plead the fifth on that one. There's a lot of our listeners out there that might have these breeds that I'm sure they're listening, going, Oh, that's my dog. Some are just too smart, you know, and they outsmart us as humans. So I think it's really just how much are you willing to challenge your dog? And I've never seen a dog that wasn't up to a challenge that the owner set forth for them. Uh,
0: And you touched on overeating in that response. So how did your show, My Big Fat Pet Makeover on Animal Planet come about? How did you become that guy? Yeah, (laughs) I
1: know, right? Well, um, so I've obviously been in the pet space for a while, um, but the obesity problem with pets, uh, and I'm sure you've, you know, you've heard statistics, um, but you know, it's out, it's, it's just enormous, you know, like 54, 55% of all dogs, you know, in America are overweight or obese. Uh, 58% of cats are overweight or obese, Uh, you know, Is that on
0: par with humans?
1: you'd be surprised it's from pretty close it's definitely on par with divorces but that's not what we're here to talk about today um but it is actually and a lot of people would always say they're like oh my gosh well is the human like the like the pet do
0: you think there's um, a correlation there do you think it's because we're eating more and we're giving our pets more as a result
1: i i i can't say no you know what i mean when when we feel sorry for ourselves we tend to go eat you know um, we fuel that with food, and so we do that with our pets too. Um, when really the the pets just need to be fueled with attention, whether it's through exercise and you know that type of thing. Um, but the food is a problem. We also have a problem with you know even just dog food labels. Like people reading a dog food label, uh, the dog food recommendations on dog food is designed for a highly active dog. Well most people aren't walking their dog 3 hours a day so they definitely don't fa- not. yeah definitely not <laughs> so they don't fall into the category of what's on the bag right so then they read the bag and they give them what's on the bag the dog doesn't eat all that food and they go oh my goodness well the dog is he's not eating all of his food so then we take like water or we take chicken or we take you know, something else super yummy and we sprinkle it over the top of it to get our dog to eat more of the food because we think they have to eat that much. When we take for granted that the dog, like humans, can regulate how much food they really need. So when dogs are in the wild, they are exercising to go find their food. When they are tired and don't need any more food, they stop they don't just keep going and finding things and eating stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like they just don't, but we we tend to just like, let's just keep the food bowl full. Let's just keep food in the bowl and everybody's happy. And that's just, that's just not the way it was intended to be. So just helping owners understand that they're not doing their pets a disservice by regulating the food. Um, There's ways around that to improve their health.
0: Speaking of food, do you have an opinion on raw, human-grade, traditional kibble?
1: Um, Well, yeah, I have an opinion on it. but again, not to upset any of my clients that could be listening,
0: <laughs> uh, you can I, play the fifth. If you I, I can't. I, no, no, no,
1: no, I'll answer it. Um, <laughs> it. It'll just it it'll be uh, yeah. It'll be across the board. So what I just tell my clients is that first of all, it's it's a financial investment, right? So what what do your means allow you to do? Um, some what I see is a lot of owners like to do for their dogs, what they do for themselves. So if they're real big into health and wellness and they're eating super, super healthy, then they do the research and they do what they think is the most healthy. Um, other people have budgetary constraints. And so what I tell them is dry dog food, the, the major brands, um, they have actually, you know, Contrary to popular belief, they have the money to do the research to make sure everything is in that food that needs to be in that food. There are some things that shouldn't be in that food, and that's what people need to to look into. But the bigger brands, everything in that dry dog food is what your dog needs to survive. Now, is it the most healthy for your dog? That's not what I'm saying. Um, But... Different dogs, just like people, can have different things, and some of them can't have the same thing. So it's on a dog-by-dog basis. It's on a budgetary basis on what you choose to do, um, and it's also on a convenience basis. Some people don't have the time to cook raw. I you don't cook the raw food, but to prepare the raw food for your pets. Um, and if you don't have the time, you need to make sure your dog is getting the right amount of nourishment. You just have to make sure, as an owner, that – it's about calorie intake as much as all the other things. We obviously have to be giving them healthy things, but you could give your dog super, super healthy raw diet, but then if it goes and stays with, at grandma's house and grandma's giving them all, you know, <laughs> Oreo cookies and like all these crazy things that either they can't have at all or is unhealthy, it doesn't matter what you're feeding at home. So you just have to keep an eye on it.
0: And you started your own line of dog treats. Yeah. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, of
1: course. So I think what... What kind of drove me to do that is one. I grew up on a farm and ranch, so to me, you know, I always know how important it is, you know, to be eating your own. Vet- like we just talked about, raw raw food, but to know where the food comes from. And so a lot of my clients would, I'd come in and they'd be like, what, what do you think of these dog treats? What do you think of these dog treats? And it wasn't that the treats were bad, but we'd flip the bag over and it would have, you know, preservatives and dyes and all these different things that just don't need to be in something we're giving to our dog as a treat. Um, and, and so I started asking my clients, what do you want? And they were like, we want something that just is simple. Like, give us simple, give us a single ingredient so we don't have to worry about what else is in it, you know? And so growing up on a beef farm, beef obviously came to mind for me. And uh, giving my dogs the best of that I can afford, I wanted to give them something that I thought was great. So we uh, have a—it's actually a human-grade beef jerky treat. There's no preservatives, no gluten, no soy, no grains, none of that stuff. Um, but it's super, super lean and thin, so it comes out in little strips, and you just— like the dog is seeing this giant strip, and it's like, oh my gosh, what do I need to do? And you can literally just tear off a little we'll corner. Nibble. Actually, actually brought you some today that I'm going to leave gonna with you. Them so we give to
0: our clients when they come over. Yeah, we'll be absolutely, so happy.
1: absolutely. Um, but that that's why I did it was because I wanted to provide my client with something that they knew what was in it, they knew where it came from, um, that they could trust, you know, and that actually was high value that that really worked for them. Uh, and then so then once they started, they were like, don't ever let us run out. I was like, maybe I should <laughs> offer these to other people uh so you can get them on our website at gadogtrainers.com um there's a lot of other places you can get them to but we're so we have the beef we're going to be coming out with some exotics pretty soon um we have some liver coming out we'll probably have duck and pheasant and goose um next year so we're we're really excited
0: Uh, and what was that process like starting a dog treat business and and dealing with the packaging and the branding and and that whole thing what was that like it's and finding the manufacturing and
1: right it's it's one of those things that you hear about this with entrepreneurs all the time like you can come up with an idea which is great but then actually executing it is a whole nother story <laughs> and pe- I, people who have done it do realize it but other people and and even my wife has said to me before she's like do you realize what you've done and I was like no not really I just put my head down and just put my nose to the grindstone it just didn't stop until it was done but there's so much that goes into it. And I don't think people realize, but if you create a dog tree, you know, not only does it have to be analyzed and you have to have all the ingredients listed on the bag, but you have to be registered with every single state, every single state's department of agriculture that you sell that treat in. And each state has its own licensing and each state has its own, um, basically channel, you know, of approval that you have to go through. And that literally, that's like, old school paperwork like they want you to fax something I'm like faxing <laughs> do you guys not know that faxing was out like 20 years ago uh, but like it's stuff like that that you don't think of and then you go okay well now I need 50. and so what I did was I just you know I'd make 50 bags and I'd sell them then I'd turn around and make 100 bags then I'd turn around and make 500 bags you know and we just had a recent order um, by a company called PetTrader.com, and they order 1500 bags and it's going in you know all their boxes out to all their customers and you know, we're really excited about that we, and that was one of the exciting things is that once it got because literally like I was sitting at home with these dog treats, cutting them with scissors, putting them in the bags, putting the labels on them and Labor I got, of love. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Like you really have to love it. And uh and what I loved was providing it. You know, of course I had a hard time not eating the treats myself, which sounds crazy talking about dog <laughs> I treats. I feel like
0: we might be eating some of them in the office. Yeah, you
1: totally can't. They're mesquite smoked. They're actually really, they're the best smelling dog treats you'll ever have. We
0: promise to share them with our clients right. as well.
1: <laughs> Human and a pet. Um, but so we partnered with a company um, that provides work for disabled adults because they needed things to do that were safe. And they approached us and said, could we help with you know the co-packing of your products? And I was like, I would, lo- I would love incredible. that. Yeah, so it's really, really great. It's this group called For Our uh, Kids and then their side business is called For Our Pups. And they're they gonna be doing the packaging of all the dog treats. So anybody that buys a bag of dog treats is providing work for uh, disabled adults. So it's really cool.
0: That's awesome. In addition to being a trainer and having your own treat business and running a training business and being a star on TV, you also (laughs) are are a children's book author. You
1: sound so busy. Uh, (laughs) Can you
0: tell us about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, of course. So after we won, I say we, me and Presley and I, um, won (laughs) Greatest American Dog on CBS, uh, we realized that we had a platform. Um, I had done public speaking growing up and... uh, I always knew with younger audiences, it's really hard to keep their attention. But when you have a dog on stage with you, like, forget about it. Like, you could do anything. That's kind of scary that you I could say or do anything and they would be paying attention.
0: People love animals. Yeah,
1: exactly. So so I took that and we, you know, as we toured the country and we did motivational speaking for, for all types of groups, um, you know, our... Some of our, we would do high school assemblies. We would do elementary school assemblies. Um, every year, we go to Broken Arrow and they fill their performing arts center with 1,200 first graders. And we're it's just my dog now. It's Pete um, uh, Presley uh, isn't with us anymore, but he lived a fantastic life. Um, but Pete does the performances now, and and we just teach the kids about you know self control and character education, bully prevention, all those types of things. Uh, but when we when we found out we had that avenue, we, it's when we created Adventures with Travis and Presley, which is specifically for character education and early childhood development, and we partnered with a group called Frog Street Press out of Grapevine, Texas, who does children's curriculum um, and they do the day-to-day and, you know, Pete and I, we now travel to the schools and it's in, you know, schools across the country. They use it in their elementary classrooms. There's there's eight, eight sets with um, teacher's guides, uh, whiteboard games and activities. There all the books are in English and Spanish you just flip them over Um, but it's Adventures with Travis and Presley so you follow the adventure as the kids learn you know manners and character education
0: uh, so I normally would say, "What's next?" But I don't know how anything else can fit on your plate. No, nothing's <laughs> next.
1: No, nothing's next. Uh, just to hang out with you. That's that's it. That's as far as I can go. I think you guys have a lot of exciting things coming up. You know, Pat Cons coming up, and you will um, hopefully be there. Yeah, right. And that's why I'm just. You know, that was me just kind of putting in a little, little side note there. Um, no, but everything's really exciting. Summers, summers here for us here in New York City, and enjoy this here and get to visit my clients out in the Hamptons this summer and get a taste of what it's like to live like them, even if it's for (laughs) a couple hours. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, we're excited. We're excited for the summer. So
0: That's great. Actually, and quick thing about summer. Um, So for pets that need to be outside and doing exercise when it's really hot out, what do you recommend?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, we just recently did a piece on preparing for summer, so I'll make sure that we get that um, for you guys. Uh, I think it's just important to keep an eye on your pets. Obviously, unless you're in the middle of potty training, water is just important. You need to always have water out. Uh, breathing heavy isn't always a sign of overheating, um, but if it's hot outside, if you have a flat-nosed dog, uh, you do want to pay extra special attention to this. I just encourage people to do their exercising early, early in the morning or late in the evening. You know, avoid the the heat of the day to be outside, uh, but just keep an extra eye on them. And if you ever feel like they are overheated, make sure you know you put get water on their chest and on their paws, um, mainly their chest. That's where they release um, you know most of the body heat. Um, but just keep an eye on them, but don't let it hold you back from doing things with your pet. Just take it easy and keep an eye on them, but they want to get out and they want to get active. So don't prevent them from that. Just be extra cautious.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. This was amazing and super informative.
1: Yes. Well, thank you, Lonnie, for having me and, uh, please have me back anytime. This is, this is so much fun. That was Travis
0: Borson, founder of Greatest American Dog Trainers and the host of My Big Fat Pet Makeover on Animal Planet. To stay up to date with Travis, go to gadogtrainers.com. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave us an awesome review and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you have any pet-related topics you want us to cover, email us at podcast at petinsider.com. To listen to past episodes, visit petinsider.com slash podcast. I'm Lonnie Edwards, and thank you for listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. Talk soon!